0: Topic today is a Christian view of sex. This one should keep your attention. I'm going to answer these questions, at least I'm going to show you where the answers come from, that's the Bible. A Christian view of sex, who invented sex? And somebody said, is he having second thoughts? And what about adultery? And is the Pope right about birth control? Our dear friends in the Roman Catholic Church, not so much here in America, but in other parts of the world, are told very, very plainly that birth control is evil. Our American Catholics have taught the same, but most of them don't take so much notice as they do in other countries. Is the Pope right about birth control? And what did Jesus say about divorce? And... Uh, this last question is one that many, many people are asking today, particularly young people. Is homosexuality an acceptable lifestyle? Is it okay to believe in homosexuality and to practice it? The great truth on this subject in the Bible is, is very plain. You go back to the book of Genesis where we are told it wasn't the church or the state or a bunch of people who invented sex. God, the creator, invented sex I want you to take your Bible today and turn over here to Genesis chapter 1 to this grand wonderful old book of Genesis that tells us how everything started and I'm so glad to see this wonderful audience here today this very large and wonderful audience Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and uh, onwards and this is the fourth weekend of the programs Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and onwards then God said Let us, there's an intimation of the Trinity, let us, not let me, let us make man in our image, not just in my image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And the Bible says, a great text, so God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible tells us that God invented sex. And when you read the scriptures, as has been said before, you find very plainly that God invented, God created Adam and Eve. It doesn't say that he created Adam and Steve. The Bible says he created Adam and Eve male and female and so God was the author of uh, sexuality would you come over here and certainly when he did so he he must have known that this great gift had tremendous potential for wonderful things and also potential for things that were not so wonderful would you notice Genesis chapter 2 and verses 21 and onwards and this talks about God's Crowning work of creation. The Bible says, So the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And when it talks about one flesh, it is referring not only to a spiritual union, but it's also referring to a physical union. This is talking about the sexual relationship. I want you to notice how God made man's partner, how he made Eve. Matthew Henry was a great English commentator, and he said that when God made Eve, he did it in a very special way. She was made not out of his head, not out of Adam's head, said Matthew Henry, not out of his head to rule over him, not out of his head to rule over man, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him either. But the Bible says, as Matthew Henry so beautifully puts it, Eve was made out of his side to be equal with him. Equal with him. There are some parts in this world where women are put down by men. Most parts of the world. Most parts of history. If you study the history of the human race, women have had a bad deal. And this is because people have not read these verses and they haven't practiced the teachings of the Bible. The Bible teaches that Eve was made out of his side to be equal with him. Equal with him. Under his arm, under his arm to be protected. And near his heart to be beloved. And so she was made something or someone very special and someone very 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 beautiful she was the crowning glory of creation and as another commentator said I think it could have been Matthew Henry who said this also he said most of these wonderful little sayings if Adam was dust refined because he was when Adam was made by God he was dust refined but if Eve was made out of the side of Adam, then Eve was dust, doubly refined. And she is a more exquisite creature than man. And if Adam was made in the glory of God and reflects the glory of God, and if Eve was made out of dust, doubly refined, then indeed she is the crowning act of God's creation. Isn't that something, ladies? I want to hear it now from the ladies. That's okay, Dan. That's all right. (laughs) That's all right. I'm glad that you're clapping. I'm glad that you're clapping. Dan always sits down the front, and he's a tremendous blessing to us. God made sex, the Bible teaches, for the joy and the blessing of the human race. Sex is good, and God made it for the blessing of all people, men and women. Let me tell you a little story. The Christian church, as it has done on so many occasions, perverted the gift of sex. Generally speaking, God, not generally speaking, God made everything very wonderful and well, but generally speaking, when the church got hold of it, they soon made it not so good. And as the years rolled by after Jesus and the apostles, the Christian church accepted many of the teachings of paganism. And into the Christian church came the doctrine of dualism. Has anybody ever heard of dualism? Dualism is the Greek doctrine that a man is made up of basically two parts. There is this body and the body is basically bad and basically evil. And so the function of the body is basically bad, basically miserable. But inside this, degre- this bad thing which is called the body, there is an immortal soul. And the soul is the good part of man. And when a person dies the body goes back to dust but the soul goes home to glory. And so the only thing that is really good about man is the soul but the body is bad. And this doctrine of dualism which the Christian church, the Catholic church specifically, got from the Greeks. This doctrine brought forth all types of unchristian teachings like celibacy. And this is why it is believed by some Christians, and they believe it very, very sincerely, and we don't condemn them, that a person can attain a higher state of Christ-likeness if he isn't married. And that is why priests don't marry. They don't do it out of bad motives. They do it because they want to please God. And it comes from the idea that somehow the flesh is bad. And so you have monasteries you have the celibacy of the priests and the nuns and uh, God bless them they're some of the most wonderful people in the world we believe devout and sincere but we believe that in this they do not understand the scriptures also it gave rise to the doctrine of asceticism whereby they believe that the body ought to be punished and so they believed in penance penance is nowhere of course taught in the scriptures There was a certain famous character, famous in the history of the Christian church. His name was Simon Stylites, and he was a Christian ascetic. And outside Antioch, he climbed up on a pole, and he sat on top of the pole. If my memory is working today, after all of these meetings and after many late nights, he sat on top of this pole for more than 30 years, never took a bath. I'm glad he was sitting on top of the pole, aren't you? But he never, never took a bath, never changed his clothes and uh, ate the worst of foods. And historians say that after a while maggots started to eat his flesh. And he said thank God for the maggots because the maggots are eating away my sins. And on occasions he would take out a maggot and hold it up and look it in the eye if it has such. And he would say, what God has given you to eat, eat. He became a great saint in the church because he was crucifying the body. Because as everybody knew back in those days, the body was bad and the flesh had to be crucified. But these ideas are completely contrary to the teachings of the Bible. The Bible teaches that God invented sex. And the Bible teaches that the body is the creation of God and the functions of the body are holy. I want you to come to some text now, would you please? I want you to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. That's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And then you come to Corinthians and I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to notice verse 19 in the Bible where the great apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor god with your body the bible teaches that this body is not something to be despised but the body is the temple of the holy spirit nothing wrong with the body and there's nothing wrong with sex In the right time at the right time and in the right context i want you to turn over here to another text i want you to come to the words of of luke chapter 4 and verse 38 luke chapter 4 and verse 38 and here it talks about the first pope or that's what some people think luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 38 it talks about simon and simon is the name for peter Luke chapter 4 Matthew Mark Luke chapter 4 verse 38 it says Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon now Simon's that's Peter some say he was the first pope now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her now the Bible tells me that Simon Peter and if he were the first pope let's grant that even though it isn't so The Bible tells us that Simon Peter had a mother-in-law. It is very difficult, I'm told, to have a mother-in-law without a wife. How would a person, I'm asking you, the bishop over there thinks that's a good one. Do you like that, bishop? we got a bishop here today. Glad to have you here, bishop. Mm -hmm. Now, the bishop thought that was a good one. It's very, very difficult. It would take a lot of doing you know, to get a mother-in-law, but not get a wife at the same time. Now, the Bible tells us that Peter had a mother-in-law. Therefore, Peter had a wife. All of the apostles were married men. And so the Bible teaches that this idea that there was something basically wrong with marriage and something basically wrong with sex didn't come from the Bible. It came from the church that perverted the truth of God. I'm going to read you a text that most people don't like to read or don't like to read it in church, sort of. I want you to come over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 1 down to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 1 down to 5. And Paul here is talking about sex and here Paul is talking about marriage. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 1 and onwards. And people ca- have come to this church today, come to this meeting today for the first time, and you've never been in this church before, we don't talk about sex every Sabbath. Just want you to know that. This is one in a series. We don't want you to think we start, you know, we move along to different parts, and, you know, when it's the, this is not just the introduction, this is... The talk today is the beginning and the ending. I just want to make that plain for every person. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 and onwards. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now what does Paul mean by that? Well because of the persecution that was going on in the Christian church, he said it's good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality... Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. That doesn't just mean taking out the garbage either. (laughs) Verse 4 says, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you, you may devote yourself to prayer. Uh, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the Apostle Paul teaches that sex is the gift and the good gift of God. Let's talk in, about why God made sex. If a person understands why God made sex then you'll have an understanding from the Bible about all this business of birth control why did God make sex now obviously he made it for reproduction because God considered it was the best way he could have made us like amoeba so we just break in two Uh, he could have done that (laughs) and after looking at Hollywood maybe he's having second thoughts he may be saying this amoeba principle has got bit got, got going for it but God made it first and foremost for reproduction He made it so the human race could grow and so that you and I could be like God. Did you know this? Like God in having a family. Not like God in all his power and his holiness. We want to be like God in his his holiness. But we're all sinners. We need to realize this. We're all sinners. And that's the first lesson you and I have to learn if we're going to be Christians that none of us are righteous. We're all sinners. So the Bible says that God made sex so that we could have families the angels can't do that you know did you hear this the angels can't have families God has a great big family and God said I like my family so much I want you to have the joy of having a family like mine And so God created sex so that we could have families. And number two, and this is important, God made sex. Here is the second reason, as the tenderest and the most intimate expression of love. Now it's the official view of my friends in the Vatican that birth control is evil. And if a person practices birth control, he is sinning against God. The Pope teaches that all artificial forms of birth control are sinful and evil. You don't need to look at the text, but our friends the Catholics quote Genesis chapter 38 and verse 9, which has got nothing to do with birth control, nothing at all. They quote Genesis chapter 38 and verse 9, but it's not talking about birth control. Such a limited view of sex is derived because of their view that somehow the body is bad. And sex is basically bad. And if you're going to have sex, well, you better have children. They do not believe. The Pope does not believe that sex was created by a great God as the greatest expression of love. And let me say this to you without sounding at all critical because I love these dear people in in this great church. I just wonder what a lot of old men would know about it anyhow. I'm telling you seriously, I just wonder what a bunch of old men in the Vatican and a bunch of old cardinals and a bunch of old priests who've never been married. I just wonder what authority they've got to tell any person anything about sex at all. I'm just just wondering about this. The Bible tells us that we ought to follow the word of God in these things and I want to say to every person who is watching this program on television God has given you a Bible and God has given you a mind and God has given you a conscience and you ought to do what your conscience tells you to do in harmony with the Word of God now the Bible makes it very very plain I'm glad that you folks are on my side here the Bible teaches that sex functions best in the context of love trust and security I put this up on the blackboard because this is the very heart of my message today. The Bible tells me, and uh, experience tells us this, not just the Bible but human experience, that sex is best in the context of love, trust, and security. And if you want to have good sex, you need to have all of those ingredients. I've got a copy here. I think it's Time or USA News and World Report. Let me see what it is, because I want to quote something out of this to you. What is it now? It's U.S. News, Sex in America. Now, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm just going to read a a little bit to you. Here are some of the major highlights from the University of Chicago's path-breaking sex survey of 3,432 Americans. How many partners? 71% of Americans have only one sexual partner in the course of a year. 12 have none. Only 3% 3 have five or more. Even though Hollywood would like you to believe that people are very promiscuous, it just isn't so. It says here that uh, 53% had one sex partner in the last five years. The medium number of partners since age 18 reported by men, six, and by women, two. But there's something here which is quite amazing because this is quite a secular magazine and nobody expected this. It says, Fidelity Reigns, fully 83% of Americans had sex with one person or had no sex partners in the past year. And half of Americans had only one partner in the last five years, and so people are more faithful to their partners than most people in Hollywood could possibly dream. This survey has also found something else out, that the promiscuous people are not having good sex. They interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people who sleep around, and they said, are you having good sex? And they said, no, it's boring, we're not satisfied. Just doesn't seem to work for us. That's the reason, my friend, that they ought to get back to the Bible. Because the Bible teaches that sex is best in the context of love and trust and security. I thought you'd like to know that today. Now the Bible teaches some great eternal truths. And all of these truths are tied in with every way we live, and particularly with sex. I want you to come over here to Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 18. The book of Isaiah chapter 48. Are you folks having a good time today? Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 18. Isaiah chapter 48... And verse 18, the Bible says, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The Bible says, If only you kept the commandments of God, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. I want you to listen up. Listen to me. Not just loosen up, but to listen up. I want you to think of a great, beautiful river. It's peaceful surrounded by beautiful hills and the flowers are growing and the birds are singing and the cows are munching grass and chewing their cud you know what that means don't you talking to a group of city people chewing the cud we won't get into that But here you've got a very peaceful and a beautiful scene. And the Bible said, if only you had kept my commandments, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the sea. I want you to know today, now listen to this, because this is the truth. The happiest people in this world today are people who love God and worship God and go to church, keep the Sabbath and keep the commandments of God. They're the happiest people in the world. You say, you know, are there some books that you could recommend that I read on sex? I want to tell you the best book that I can recommend is the book we give out as you come in night by night. That's this book here, which is the Bible. Now this book is going to tell you how you can change your life and so that you can have the best sex. But sex is best in the context of love, trust, and security. And I've got another statement here by a great theologian whose name I've forgotten. (laughs) He said, the moral laws are just as stable as the law of gravity. And you may say, well, look, I I don't know about those laws. It doesn't matter whether you know about them or not. They still still work. You can climb up on this building up on the top on the spire, and you think you can fly like an eagle. Uh, You're just going to find that the law of gravity is still working, whether you know about it or not. And and this man says that the moral laws are just as stable as the law of gravity. Now here's his name, Professor Walter Ruschenbalch. With a name like that, he's got to be right. I want to read you the whole statement. This is a great statement. It takes a bit of time to read, but just listen. The moral laws are just as stable as the law of gravitation. Every fuzzy human chicken, I like that, every fuzzy human chicken. If you want to see people look like fuzzy human chickens, Just see them in the morning. (laughs) Uh, now, Now, I'm sure the men do too, but ladies do too when they got those things in their hair, you know. God bless them. We haven't got to that stage yet. The moral law is just as stable as the law of gravitation. Every fuzzy human chicken that has hatched into this world tries to fool with those laws. Some grow wiser in the process and some do not. We talk about breaking God's laws, but after these laws have been broken several billion times since Adam first tried to play with them, these laws are still intact and no seam or fracture is visible in them, not even a scratch on the enamel. But the lawbreakers, that's another story. If you want to find their fragments, did you get that? If you want to find their fragments... Go to the ruins of Egypt, of Babylon, of Jerusalem, study statistics, read faces, keep your eyes open, walk through the graveyards and read the invisible inscriptions left by the angel of judgment. For instance, here lies the fragments of John Smith who contradicted his maker, played football with the Ten Commandments and departed this life at the age of 35. His wife and mother weep for him. Nobody else does. May he rest in peace. I want you to know this. You know why God gave us these laws? Why he gave us the Sabbath? Why he gave us the Ten Commandments? Why he gave us the Bible? Why he gave us the laws about sex? Because he loves us. He wants us to be happy. Not only have I got a son whom I'm very proud of, I've got two daughters that I'm very proud of. And uh, when I'm talking about a subject like that, they say, what would dad know about any of these things anyhow but let me tell you <laughs> let me tell you about one of my daughters Julie when she was just knee high to a grasshopper do you say that in America yes all uh, right well I wish I had something else to say then I <laughs> wish I had something that I could tell you that you know you hadn't heard of before so I could see you looking impressed anyhow when Julie was knee high to a uh, to a um, to a duck, thank you, doctor. When Julie was knee high to a duck, we lived in Sydney, this wonderful, magnificent city where they're going to have the Olympic Games. Uh, just a beautiful city, but we lived at 201 the Commonara Parkway, Wurunga. 201 the Commonara Parkway, Wurunga. It was a busy, busy road, and we had a lovely little home sitting back there in a eucalyptus forest and we'd wake up every morning and to the laughter of the kookaburras and uh, Julie was just this little girl she was knee high to a to a duck, and uh, she had to go to the school up the road the Wurrunga Church School where I was a pastor and uh, it was such a busy busy road and we loved Julie so much she was just the cutest little girl uh, always laughing telling people to jokes she's a nurse now and she's still laughing and telling people jokes even when they're dying she's cracking jokes to them but anyhow she's just a happy happy person and we would say to julie julie you've got to be careful crossing the road never cross the road by yourself why not because you can get run over and i used to sometimes in beverly and i used to walk her up to the school and wait till the lights went green and take her across the road And then the teacher would take her across the road when she came home. And then she'd have to walk down this bush road, you see, and we'd be waiting. Or if I wasn't home, Beverly would be home waiting for her. But we loved her so much, and we still do. We love Leanne, too, and and David, but we love them so much that we tried to instill in them when they were knee-high to a duck that the happiest people and the safest people are the people who keep the law. And when people read the Bible, they say to me, you know, we don't like this whole law. Well, that's because of our old sins. That's the problem. There's nothing wrong with the law. And God gave us the law because he loves us. And sex is best in the context of love, law, trust, and security. So I just want you to know today that sex and all of these things, the laws of God, they're all expressions of the love of our Father in heaven. Now, people say to me, and I've got to talk about this because lots of people ask this question. I know some people don't like to talk about it in public, but there are lots of people who ask this question, and therefore I'm duty-bound to give an answer, and I, I need to do this. It's important for you, and it's important for our young people. What about homosexuality? I want to say a number of things about homosexuality. I want you to hear everything I'm going to say on this and not misunderstand it. Firstly, I want you to know if you're a homosexual, God loves you. And if you're a homosexual and you're watching this program, God loves you. And if you're a homosexual and if you're looking for a place to come and worship, come and worship in my church. You'll get a welcome in my church. Because God loves homosexuals. I'll tell you the reason I say this. I believe that even though God hates sinful practices, God doesn't hate the person. That's terribly important to understand. And when I read about Jesus, I find that Jesus was very often with the outcasts of society. The people who loved Jesus were the sinners. You know the people who hated Jesus? The religious people. Yeah, the priests, the rulers, and the people who were great on quoting the Bible, they hated Jesus. In the end, they put him on the cross. I heard recently of a homosexual parade or somewhere in one of the cities of this country, and they were marching down the street. They were talking about AIDS. They were asking the government to help more about AIDS. I believe that every person can help to stamp out AIDS by obeying the law of God. Hear this? But they were having this great parade, and they were talking about, Hey, help us to cure AIDS. And and I can say, Yes, I want to see AIDS cured. I want to see the government do more. But they were marching down the street and some of them were professing Christians. And one group marched past the television cameras and they were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is that true? Yes, Yes, it's true. But there are a bunch of Christians standing across the road saying, burn, faggot, burn, faggot. We hope that you rot in hell and we hope that you all get AIDS. Now I just wonder what side of the road Jesus would have been on. I don't have to wonder for long jesus never put down people and jesus took into his embrace prostitutes and sinners and he loved them and he saved them and he changed their lives and if i can do that for people that's what i want to do so i want to say to any homosexual who is watching the program god loves you and i love you too it does appear i'm not an authority on this i don't know who is quite frankly I'm, I'm sure some who far, know far more about this than I do. I'm not a psychologist. It appears that some are born with tendencies towards homosexuality. That's not surprising. All suffer the effects of the sin of, of Adam. All suffer the effects of the fall of Genesis 3. We're all born with inherited tendencies to sin. You may be born with a tendency towards alcoholism. You may be born with a tendency towards promiscuity. You may be. You may be born with a tendency towards a vile temper. We're born with these things because we are born in a state of sin. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if some homosexuals are born with that tendency. Many homosexuals, I think perhaps the majority, are the result of a very poor family environment that's not to put down the families I don't want any person who's got a son who's a homosexual to say hey this is an awful thing to say we failed our son I'm not saying this but many homosexuals I'm told are the result of a family environment and they did not choose that environment then there are those who willfully choose that lifestyle because they think it's great to be gay So we must distinguish, and I must distinguish, between homosexual acts and the person who does them. And so I want to say it again, God loves homosexuality. But I've got to say it to you as plain as I can, as a minister of the gospel, I've got to say it as plainly as anything, even though some people may hate me for it, God does not love the act of homosexuality, but in the Bible it is called an abomination. And I'm going to read you some texts on that. I want you to come over here to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22. And I appeal to you simply to follow the Bible in this matter. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22, please. That's the first text. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 18 and verse 22. The Bible says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable or that is an abomination. Chapter 20 and verse 13, I want you to notice this text. Chapter 20 verse 13, if a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. And of course this is talking about the Old Testament law. I want you to come over now to the book of Romans chapter 1. And Romans of course is in the New Testament. And here Paul talks about homosexual acts. Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 and onwards. I want you to turn to it in the Bible. I'm turning to it here, looking for the passage. Romans 1 and it's verse 24 and onwards. Let me read it to you. The Bible says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves... The due penalty of their perversion. And so the Bible says that the act of homosexuality is a perversion. I said once again. God created Adam and Eve. He didn't create Adam and Steve. I want you to come to another text on this subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 and onwards and i'm reading it to you right out of the new international version the bible says do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You notice slanderers get in there too. And verse 11 says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to know this. When the gospel net goes out into the world, it brings all sorts of people into the net. I want people to come to my meetings who are drunkards, who are thieves, who are slanderers, who have got all of the sins that you can mention, including people who practice homosexuality. And the Bible says that Paul preached the gospel to those people. And the Bible says, you were like that once, he says, but you were sanctified, you were washed in the blood of Jesus, and you were completely changed. And I want to say to every person today, there's no limit to the power of God to change the life. And that includes the life of a homosexual. I want to say that tonight. How many people are homosexuals? This survey of USA News says 2.8% of men, 1.4% of women say they're homosexuals. Let me say a few words, particularly to young people who are watching this telecast today. Let me say a few words about AIDS. It's an incurable, awful disease. Not very long ago I baptized a man who was dying of AIDS. And when I took this young man down into the water, he was so frail, he was so skinny, he was so sick. I baptized him and I believe the Lord washed his sins away. And I believe he's going to be in the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something about AIDS, and I want every person here to listen to this. AIDS is an incurable disease that is sexually transferred that can be totally avoided by almost all people if they were to obey the laws of God. And so I say if you want to avoid AIDS, the best thing you can do is to obey the law of Almighty God. That's the best thing you can do because the moral laws are just as stable as the law of gravitation. And if you break the laws of God, the law of God is going to break you. Because the law of God, my friend, is a mighty granite pillar. And if you walk into that law, it's not going to hurt that law. Now, I should give a little statement here about people who get AIDS who certainly don't sleep around. Uh, Lots of people have got them through blood transfusions. And lots of women and I guess lots of men have got them from their spouses when they had no idea what their partner was up to. But I want to say that basically AIDS is a disease that could be wiped off the planet if people were to obey the law of God. Now what does the Bible say about divorce? Let me read you a text. I I want to show you what Jesus says about divorce. Come over here to Matthew 19 and verses 3 to 9. Matthew the 19th chapter and verses 3 to 9. And here Jesus talks about divorce. Matthew 19, 3 to 9. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Uh, You know what they were doing, don't you? They were snooping around trying to, you know, get him to say something that uh, would embarrass him. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. Uh, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And so Jesus said the only real legitimate cause for divorce is unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. I want to say this though. Listen to this my friends. We live in a world of great stress. We live in a world when good people experience traumatic stress and people make mistakes and people fall apart and marriages fall apart. And I want to say that if you're one of those people here today, I want you to know that God loves you, and God is not here today to condemn you, and it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, there's always hope, and there's always mercy, and there's always forgiveness, and there's always a welcome back home from God. I want you to know that today. But God wants to bless your homes, and God wants to bless your marriages. Let me talk now about the secrets of a happy home. And I have put this up here on the blackboard. Firstly, the love of God in the heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about the love of God that comes from the heart of God and is put into the heart of every believer. If you want to have a really happy home, then have the love of Jesus in your heart. The love of God in our hearts can transform any stale, sad, sick relationship. Have you heard the story that Billy Graham tells about the man who always forgot anniversaries? You see, he just didn't water the plant. And he forgot anniversaries. He forgot wedding days. He forgot birthdays. And he came to a meeting like this and the Spirit of God must have spoken to his heart and he decided to reform. And so it was his wife's birthday and he bought her a big, huge box of the best chocolates. Lady Godiva's, actually. You can get them from Sears. He bought this big box of chocolates and a big bouquet of red roses and he arrived home knocked on the door, and burst out into song, Happy Birthday. He started to sing, Happy Birthday to you. I'm not even going to be tempted. So he sang, Happy Birthday, and, and he called out, Happy Birthday, honey, I'm home. It's Harry. Happy Birthday. He was the man who had never, never remembered her birthday. And she came out to the front door. She said, Harry, Everything's gone wrong today. She said, the children have been horrid. I've just burnt the dinner. And I've burnt your best suit when I was ironing it today. And she said, to cap it all, Harry, you've got to come home drunk. (laughs) Billy Graham, whom I admire, also tells a story... He says, before this couple got married, when they'd come to a puddle of water, he'd take off his coat. He'd lay it down over the puddle of water. He'd help her across, you see. But after they were married, they'd come to a puddle of water. He'd say, jump, honey. I think you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> but the Bible tells us if you, if you want to have a happy home, you've got to have the love of God in your heart. Number two, you need to pray and worship together. If you want to avoid divorce, then go to church go to church keep the sabbath have family worship and pray and worship together it's tremendously important and number 3 this is this is this is huge this is very very important the bible says say i'm sorry there are some people and their culture seems to make it worse for them and sad they think that if a man ever apologizes he's no longer a man i want to say Pardon my saying this, you're not a man until you can apologize to your wife and your children when you mess up. I want to say that to you. If you can't say, if you can't say to your wife or to your husband, I'm sorry, I messed up. You've got a serious, spiritual, psychological problem. You really are a sick person. I'm telling it to you pretty strong. You're a sick person. You need A desperate amount of healing. I've had in counseling, I've had couples come to me and they've said, my husband can't bring himself to the point of admitting he's wrong. He thinks it destroys his masculinity. He's got a real problem. He's a sick man. Unless you can go and say to your children, I'm sorry. I've had to say I'm sorry to my wife heaps of times, so many times, probably a million times, and also to my kids. If you want to have a happy marriage, if you want to be a happy person, if you want to be a person that people are going to like, you need to say, I goofed up and I'm sorry. Say it, I'm sorry, you say. Number three, and sometimes it's good to say it even when you're in the right. (laughs) Did you hear that? Say it when you're in the right. Sure beats something else. Say, I'm sorry. And then choose happiness. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that when a man is married, he ought to be free from every other activity. He shouldn't have to go to war, but he should stay home for a year and cheer up his wife. It says that in the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to be happy, you need to choose happiness. Abraham Lincoln said he figured that most people were about as happy as they chose to be. So if you want to have a happy home, then choose to be happy and enjoy happiness. Amen. And the fourth point is this, make the gospel of John 3.16 the center of your life. The Bible says, David says, except the Lord build this house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord is the head of the house, there's going to be no real joy and peace. Some of my friends have heard me tell this story before, but it's my best story. It's better than the kookaburra one, but that will have repeats. It happened in London where there were lots and lots of orphans and street children. This happened a hundred years ago. It was a cold, cold night with a few flakes of snow in the air and a London bobby was doing his rounds and he came upon a little boy getting ready to doss down for the night. He said, little boy, time for you to go home. He said, I... Got no home. He said it's time for you to go back to your mother. He said I haven't got a mother. Well he said then go to your father. I haven't got a father. You must have somebody you can go. He said I haven't got anybody. And this English policeman was a believer. And he believed in the gospel of John 3:16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he knew a man who took in lonely little boys and girls. And he said, I want you to go to such and such a street. I want you to find this house, number 777, we'll say. And I want you to go up and knock on the door. And when you knock on the door, and if anybody comes to the door, I want you to say, please, sir. Please, sir, John 3.16 told me to come. This little boy knew nothing about Jesus, or John 3.16. And so with the snow falling, this little boy in rags went up to this imposing big house, knocked on the door, and a big man came out and said, Yes, what do you want? He said, Please, sir, John 3.16 told me to come. Oh, he said, John 3.16, he's an old friend of mine. He said, if John 3.16 told you to come, come into my house, boy. And when he came into the house, there was a big fire blazing up to heaven, a wonderful, wonderful, cheery fire. And he said, boy, come and stand beside the fire. He said, I'm going to go and do some things, but I want you to stand here for a little while. And the little boy in his rags stood beside the fire. He was so cold. And as he stood before the fire and the fire, the heat started to seep into his body. And the little boy said to himself, I don't know who John 3.16 is, but he sure can make a cold boy warm. Mm. He was a dirty little boy, like some of us. He needed a good bath, smelly, no deodorant, no bathtub, and after a little while, when the little boy was warm, a big lady came in, the sort of lady who was just made and cushioned to hug little boys. <laughs> she was a big, wonderful lady, Just a big motherly soul. And she said, Boy, are you hungry? Oh, he said, I'm ever so hungry. He said, Yes, I'm I'm hungry. Well she said, Well, we're gonna do something about that soon. But she said, we want you to come into the bathroom. Come into the bathroom, what's a bathroom? Well, come on in, have a look. So she took him, and the husband took him into this bathroom, and there was a great big steaming bathtub full of hot water and lots of soap. And they said, take off that stuff. So they stripped it off, layer after layer, layer after layer came off. And then they put him in the bathtub, and the, the, the man got a big scrubbing brush and put some soap on it and scrubbed him all over, up and down. He scrubbed him down the back. He scrubbed him up the face. He scrubbed him up. How you doing all right? Feeling cleaner? He scrubbed him. This man's a doctor. So he scrubbed him all over. It took a while. Sometimes takes a while to get the dirt off. So he scrubbed him and scrubbed him and scrubbed him. And after he'd scrubbed him and he was clean. The little boy said... I still don't know who this John 3.16 is, but he sure can make a dirty boy clean. So they cleaned him, and they dried him, and they put him in some Pajamas. And then the lady came and got him and took him into the kitchen, the best room in the house, the kitchen table, not the dining room, the kitchen table where the fire is burning and you can smell the goodies on the stove. Sat him down and there was a big pot of stew and it didn't have tofu in it, but it was a big pot of stew. And the lady laid out and some good bread with a lot of bread butter on it a lot of butter on it take that a lot of butter on the bread slather it all over we've got a cardiologist here a lot of butter on it I think you enjoy it too it's so a lot of butter on the bread and he sat down ate it down when he was through she said he wants some more can I have some more yeah filled him up and now she said you just go eating there and I'm going to go and make you room ready. The little boy said I still don't know who John 3.16 is but he sure can make an empty boy full. An empty boy full. And then after a while they came in and they took him into the bedroom and there was the bed made up sheets, a fluffy pillow, A water bottle. He'd never been in a bed before. They tucked him in. And as he drifted off to sleep, he said, I still don't know who John 3.16 is, but he sure can give a tired boy rest. John 3.16, a cold boy, warm. A dirty boy, warm clean. A hungry boy, full. A tired boy, rest. You can do the same for you and for me. Let's pray together. Now Father, today we've been talking about marriage and sex and the law and the commandments and everything else that's tied up with this subject. But we thank you at the very end of it all, the ultimate solution is John 3 16 that Jesus can come into our hearts our cold hearts our frigid hearts our stuffy self-righteous hearts our critical hearts and God can come into these cold hearts and make them warm make our hearts warm today we thank you that God can find us today all dirty And he can make us clean and wash us in the blood of Jesus. We thank you that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. We thank you that our God can make hungry people full. Empty people. People with big holes inside. And he can take away the hunger and fill us up. And we thank you that he can take people who are full of restlessness and they're tired of this world and he can give them rest. Do that today to our homes, our marriages, our wives, the husbands, to all of us, Lord, today. Bless us all today as we take the Christ of John 3:16 into our homes and in our hearts. We worship you and thank you.